Good morning. Welcome to the crossings. Happy Father's Day. I'm a little loud back here. We good? All right. Charles. Come on down. You guys, most of you know, this is Charles. Uh, Charles was baptized uh, not this past week, but the week before. And I uh, wanted to give this to you. Uh, let's see, Alameda studied with you. Was anybody else in there? With Aaron. You? Aaron? Okay. Good job. All right, go have a seat, man. So anytime somebody makes a commitment to follow Jesus, we want to acknowledge that publicly because that's a person that uh, has said, hey, I'm going to give the rest of my life to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we as his family are here to help nurture him and take care of him. Whenever you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into a family. Uh, you're baptized out of the world into the family of God, and the family of God takes care of its own. So we want to make sure that we take care of Charles and everybody else that God is sending us, and we want to be on the lookout for other little brothers and sisters that don't know their little brothers and sisters yet, right? That's part of the fun of this. Speaking of fun, we got junior high camp this week. You guys are not very enthusiastic about junior high camp. What is going on here? Uh, we, camp's a big deal for us here at the crossings. We have kids and, and volunteers that go, and some of our volunteers spend their whole summer uh, working with these kids at camp. And it's just a great week of spiritual transformation. The kids have a lot of fun. It's not all uh, just Bible studies and, and sitting around, you know, talking. It's, it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of engagement. There's a lot of uh, people that love Jesus very much that are adults that are pouring into these kids. And we have a special community here at the Crossings uh, where people are really willing to take vacation uh, to go pour into somebody else. Uh, that's not normal in the world that we live in for people to act that way and to spend their time and prioritize that way. But when you really love Jesus, you tend to do things that don't look like everybody else sometimes. Amen? Um, speaking of that, we're in the middle of a series called No Way Out. Uh, where we are looking at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I'm going to let Mike, is Mike got a mic? Where is he? All right, we're good to go. Go ahead and read our passage that we're going to come out of, Mike. Every test that you experience is the kind that normally comes to people, but God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to be made firm. At the time you put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it, and so provide you with a way out inescapable truths that we take out of this passage right here. Now, this is applicable to us because all of us are going to find ourselves in a situation at some point that where we need a way out. There have been situations that I've been into many times where I've been facing temptation or I've been facing uh, some kind of test where I needed a way out. And what God promises here is, number one, there's four inescapable truths about situations that test us. Number one, the situations that test us are normal. They are normal. Now, it can feel like whenever we're faced with a crisis or we can, we're faced with uh, the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or a diagnosis that is not good for our health, whenever we experience something like that for the first time, it can wreck our worlds, right? Because we don't all experience tragedy like that all of the time. But one of the things we need to understand as we do face tragedy or as we do face trial is that that kind of thing is normal in life. 
It is normal to have to go through life and eventually deal with grief. It is normal to go through life and eventually have to deal with a really bad situation with my health or a really dysfunctional relationship, relationship that, that is just dominating my thoughts. That kind of thing is normal. Now, it, it can feel like it's not when we're in the middle of it. Why? Because we don't experience that kind of stuff all of the time, but we need to understand those kinds of times are going to come for us. That is normal, okay? Secondly, God is reliable. God is reliable. It says in this passage that God keeps his promise. He won't let you be tested beyond what you can endure. He's faithful in that. So expect the test, expect the bad situations, but guys, understand God is there and he's present and he's reliable and he makes a couple of promises about what I can expect to come out of this situation that I'm dealing with. For instance, he'll use it to make me stronger. If I'm faithful, he'll use it, he actually will use the bad stuff in my life to make me stronger. It says in James 1, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Guys, underline strong in character and ready for anything. Is that you right now? Is that you right now? Are you strong in character and ready for anything that the world will throw at you? Can you stub your toe and lose your crap? Okay, you're not there yet, okay? Uh, if you go through life and, and you come through situations like what we're talking about, like tragedy, like these life-wrecking, life-upsetting situations, you get into those situations and then you put your faith in God. And God takes you through that situation, whatever it is. When you come out on the other side, you are not the same person. You are, you are stronger. You are better equipped. You are more apt to put your faith in God. Why? Because you've gone through a trial and God was faithful through it. So now you're in a different place. Okay? So you should praise God when you're going through the trial is what James says. Now, do you just sit back and, and, and just sing praises to God when you're having a terrible day? or when you're dealing with a terrible situation. Man, how unnatural is that? Does anybody in here do that? You just jump for joy and praise? Yay, I have cancer. Yay, my mom is going to die. Yay, yay. No. Like, you don't do that. But that's what James says to do. Okay? Uh, why? Because of the result. As we put our faith in the Lord... Now, understand this, too. He'll use it to make me stronger, but he will also provide a way out of it. And this is part of what we can rejoice in. He will provide a way out. It says he will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out. Now, implied in this verse is that the way out is going to be through God. The, the third point here is my faith is essential to my escape. That's implied in 1 Corinthians 10 here. It's that those who are faithful, those who put their faith in the Lord, those are going to be the ones who can find a way out. Those are going to be the ones who can overcome. Now, faith is essential to overcoming, and we're going to look at a story today about a guy who went through a situation that really tried his faith. We're going to talk about the story of Joseph. I want to show a short video. Uh, 
that will kind of encapsulate the story of Joseph. It'll kind of hit the high points. Joseph comes out of the uh, book of Genesis. Joseph was uh, one of the younger sons of Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. You guys have heard of the Israelites. Uh, so Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, who was Israel. Let's just go ahead and play that video. God's story, Joseph. So part of God's story is about a guy named Joseph, and it begins like this. Once there was a guy named Joseph who had 10 older brothers and one younger one. When Joe was a boy, he was his dad's favorite. In fact, his dad liked him so much better than his brothers that he gave Joe a special gift to prove it. You can imagine this made his brothers jealous. And Joe only made things worse. He told his brothers about dreams he had where he was ruling over them. Well, this made Joe's brothers furious. One day they were working and saw Joe coming. They said, here comes that dreamer. They threw Joe into a dark pit. They might have left him there forever, but they met some men traveling from Egypt and sold Joe to them as a servant instead. They thought that was slightly nicer than leaving him in a pit. Then they went home and told their father Joe had been killed by a wild animal. This broke their dad's heart. Kids, these brothers were really bad news. Selling a sibling is never a good idea, ever. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joe. When Joe was a servant, he worked for a really important rich guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar liked Joe so much, he put him in charge of the whole house. Joe was happy until one day he was blamed for something he didn't do, and Potiphar sent him straight to jail. Well, God was still with Joe, even in prison. The guard decided he liked Joe so much, he put him in charge of all the other prisoners. Then God gave Joe special knowledge about dreams. When two prisoners had dreams, Joe knew what they meant, so he told them. Two years later, Egypt's ruler called Pharaoh had a dream, and nobody knew what it meant. But by now, one of the two prisoners Joe had helped was out of jail and working for Pharaoh. He told Pharaoh about Joe, and God helped Joe figure out what Pharaoh's dream meant. But Pharaoh's dream was really more of a nightmare. It meant that everybody in Egypt would have food for seven years, then be hungry for seven years. Joe told Pharaoh the only way to survive was to store food during the seven good years. Well, Pharaoh thought Joe's idea was brilliant. He put him in charge. During the seven hungry years, nobody could eat without getting food from Joe. He was like a human vending machine. Well, remember how Joe had 11 brothers? Like everybody else, they had to get food from Joe. And when they came, they didn't even recognize their brother. But Joe knew who they were. He secretly tested them to see if they changed. After all, they did throw him in a pit and sell him. Finally, he couldn't hide who he was from his brothers anymore. He told everyone to leave the room because he was about to cry. After sobbing for a few minutes, he told them, I'm your brother Joseph. I'm the one you sold. The brothers couldn't believe it. They had hurt Joe, but God had taken care of him during the good times and the bad. Even with everything they had done to Joe, he forgave them because he was willing to follow God even when it was hard. Joe told them, you planned to harm me, but God planned it for good. And God used Joe to save many lives, including the family that was part of God's special rescue plan. And that's the story of Joseph. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. Joe was his dad's favorite. His brother sold him. Potiphar put Joe in charge. Joe was sent to jail. The guard put Joe in charge. Fair had a bad dream. Joe told him what it meant. Pharaoh put Joe in charge. Joe's brothers had to come to him for food. Joe forgave them. This was part of God's rescue plan. 
And that's a part of God's story. So I was reading through Genesis earlier this week. Um, unrelated to getting ready for this lesson, I was just reading. And uh, it's interesting because you come up on Joseph uh, toward the end of Genesis. You got to remember, Joseph's story is part of a bigger story. Uh, God came to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, told him, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you uh, all of these blessings. And then you start to see that story unfold. And so you got to understand that Joseph is part of an even bigger story. God has a dream for Joseph's life, uh, but he's part of an even bigger story. And you and I, guys, as disciples of Jesus, we inherit the story that starts way back in the beginning of Genesis. We inherit the promises Whenever God makes a promise to Abraham to make him into a mighty nation and to bless people through this people that he's going to bring into the world, all of that, guys, we inherit as disciples, as believers. We're part of this larger story. And I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through Joseph's story this morning. Now, Joseph, as the video mentioned, was the son of Jacob, uh, who would later be called Israel. Uh, Joseph was given special treatment which, does it ever cause problems if a kid gets special treatment in a household that the other kids don't get? Yes, it's really a dumb thing to do, right? Matter of fact, you shouldn't do it. Jacob didn't always make the greatest decisions. If you read his story, he was a little bit of a scoundrel, uh, but he showed favoritism to Joe, and that caused problems with the other siblings that were present. He gave Joseph a special coat that was apparently very, very expensive, uh, he didn't give that gift to anybody else. It was just for Joseph. And then I'm not sure in the text if Joseph was, you know, you can read the story and, and kind of, some people think Joseph was a spoiled brat, which is why he wasn't out working in the fields with his brothers. He was just at home, maybe kind of making fun of him a little bit. Others think he was a good kid uh, that just got a raw deal. I don't really know. Whatever the case, if you make your siblings mad, the answer for sibling is not to sell you into slavery, right? But that's what they did. They took the kid. In fact, they were going to kill him at first. They were going to take him and, and kill him and throw his body in a hole. Uh, but one of the brothers spoke up, Reuben, spoke up and said, let's not kill him. Let's just make it look like we killed him. And so they throw Joseph in a cistern. They take that coat off of him, they kill a pig, and they rub the pig's blood all over the coat, and then they take the coat back to uh, Jacob and say, look, Joseph got killed by a wild animal, he's dead. Then they sell him into slavery. Jacob, for Joseph's whole life, thought Joseph was dead. And Joseph here is, is taken into slavery. He's made a servant in this guy's household. He's a good servant. He's eventually made to be in charge of this guy's house, Potiphar's house. It doesn't tell you in the video, but the temptation, the, tr the trouble that Joseph faced in that house was Potiphar's wife took a shine to Joseph. In the Bible, it says he was well-built and good-looking. And so she decided she was going to try to sleep with him. She starts trying to get this guy to go to bed with him, uh, with, with her. She ends up grabbing his robe one time to pull, her, pull him into her room. And the dude just comes out of his robe and runs out the house. 
She takes the robe and goes to the guards and says, Joseph tried to rape me. Look, he just left his cloak behind in my bedroom. She was the one trying to get him in there. She lied on the kid and got him thrown in prison. Okay, would you be bitter at this point? Your brothers have sold you into slavery. Now you go to work for this dude. You work hard. You develop a good reputation. Then the wife tries to sleep with you. You run away. But then she has you thrown in prison. Would you be mad at this point? Right? Like I would. I'm getting a raw deal, right? I'd be a little bitter at this point. But he doesn't go there. Instead, he encounters these people in the prison who are having supernatural dreams. And he's able to interpret them. That actually gets him eventually, he gets out of jail because the Pharaoh has a dream. And they find out there's this guy who can interpret them that's been sitting in jail. He sat there for a long time, guys, till he eventually got out. Eventually, he becomes number two in the kingdom of Egypt. He becomes the number two in the land because he goes and serves in Pharaoh's household and does such a good job. Then his brothers end up coming back when there's a famine in the land. That dream that he had at the beginning of the story that got him in trouble when he started sharing it with his brothers becomes a true story as his brothers come back, bow before him. He ends up giving them uh, aid and everything. Kind of messes with them a little bit too. Like if you read the story, he doesn't just come out and tell them who he is right at the beginning. He kind of messes with them, like puts some stuff in their bag and makes it look like they stole stuff. And anyway, I don't know. Was he thinking about executing them? Maybe. I don't know. But he was messing with them. I know that for sure. But how is this applicable to us? Well, let's look at what we learned from Joseph as we're talking about uh, making our way out of dysfunction. If there were ever a dysfunctional situation that someone was faithful through, it would be Joseph's situation. Now, again, guys, the point of looking at these stories is to look for application to ourselves. Anytime we open up God's word, it's not just to look at a story. Anytime we open up God's word, the Bible says it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. It says in the New Testament about the Old Testament that these old stories are written for us to learn from them. We take them and we say, what's the truth in here from God? What are the uh, unchangeable, timeless truths that are true about God's character that are going to affect my life and the way I relate to God? That's why we look at these stories. So first of all, if we want to learn from Joseph's story how to get out of dysfunction, number one, the principle we can take hold of is to hold on to the dream God has for you. Hold on to the dream that God has for you. As you're tested in life, as life throws things at you, where you're, it's a curveball, I don't know how to hit this one, right? Hold on to the dream that God has for you. God had a dream for Joseph in Genesis 37. How do we know God had a dream for Joseph? Because God literally and supernaturally sent Joseph a dream. It goes like this. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up. And your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about it. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And he again told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. 
The sun, moon, and the eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Wow. Okay, so he has this dream that apparently is from the Lord. Okay, not every dream that you have is from God. If you dream something, it does not mean God is talking to you. Just let me throw that out there, okay? There are occasions in history where people have supernatural dreams. How did they know they were supernaturally from God? Because they just knew, okay? They just knew. If God wants you to know something, you will know it. There will not be confusion about it. If you're saying, I wonder if that dream was from the Lord, it was not from the Lord. If God sends you a dream, you will know that it's from the Lord. It does not happen very often, okay? It happened to Joseph, and some people would say, was that really something he should have shared with his uh, brothers and father, this dream that he had? Well, I don't know. I know that he did, and I know it didn't turn out good for him, right? He comes and he shares this dream, which for his siblings and his dad weren't really that flattering for them because they're bowing down to him. Uh, he shares it, and then he gets a reaction but God had a dream for him. God had a dream for Joseph. God supernaturally gave Joseph a dream. And again, guys, that does not happen very much. So you say, well, I didn't supernaturally have God give me a vision. I didn't supernaturally get this dream from heaven that just kind of mapped things out for me. Guys, if you have not supernaturally had a dream from the Lord, guess what? That's okay. Most people don't. I would say the vast majority, there's a point zero 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 one percent maybe that God will talk to you like that. For most people, God is going to talk to you how? Through the Word of God. Through the Holy Spirit of God, right? He's going to talk to you through the people of God. He's not just going to zap you. That's not how it works generally. There's generally more to it than that. For Joseph, he kind of zaps him. Gives him this dream, but just because God spoke to him that way doesn't mean God doesn't have a dream for you. God has a dream for you. Part of the fun of life is trying to figure out what God's dream is for you. And guys, he has a dream for every single one of you. Not just the select few, not just you and you and you. No, for every single person on this planet, God has a dream for them. It says in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I like this passage. Now this passage in Jeremiah was directly spoken to the Israelites in Jeremiah's day, but I like this passage because it's a great illustration of what God is like. This is how God relates to humanity in general. He's got plans for you. He's got dreams for you. But what's on you in order to see those dreams fulfilled? What's on you, church? What do we have to do? We've got to seek him. And how do we have to seek him? With our whole hearts. What does that look like? Is that a little bit more than passive? Is that a little bit more than I'm just going to show up to church every once in a while? Is that a little bit more than I'm going to leave Joy FM on, on my radio? Is it a little bit more than that? 
Seeking God with your whole heart. It means you put God at the center of your life. You put your relationship with Jesus at the center of your life. It means you prioritize around your relationship with Jesus. It means your goals and your dreams and what you're going to do with your life. You don't make a bunch of plans without thinking about Jesus. You don't set life goals without thinking about Jesus. You say, how has Jesus uniquely wired me and gifted me? How can I live out my life in such a way as to honor him? That's seeking God with your whole heart. That's seeking him with your whole heart. This is not a passive thing. This is not something where you just put Jesus on the shelf with everything else in your life. He gets his own shelf, right? Matter of fact, he gets the bookcase. He just gets the bookcase. He is number one. And Ephesians 2.10, this is another life verse. I reference this often. Why? Because it's so important for you to understand. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to what? To what? To do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God, what? Prepared in advance. For what? For who? Who? I'm sorry. Is that talking about you? Is it? Are you sure? You guys sound a little unsure this morning. I just want to make sure we're tracking here, right? This is a general truth for everybody. You want to know what this means? This means God has dreams for you. This passage right here says that there are things that God has prepared for you to do in advance. Like he could see your life before your life happened. He said, you know what? I'm going to put that person at this time and in this place because I want them to do this thing. And whatever God's dream is for you, It's going to look different than your neighbor's dream that God has for them. But I guarantee you, whatever God's dream is for you, whatever work he has prepared for you to do is going to make the world a better place. That's what your purpose is. One of the awesome adventures that you get to go on as a disciple, is to find a relationship with God and then to find your place in the story of God. Because you have a place in God's story. Joseph had a place in God's story. Guys, this was a long time ago. You have a place in God's story. The same God that was God for Joseph, the same God that sent Joseph that supernatural dream, the same God that's been present this whole time is the same God that is your God that has a dream for you. He has a ministry for you. He wants to use you to make the world a better place. And part of the fulfilling best part of life is figuring out what that is. And it's an adventure on the way. God has a dream for you. How can I know God's dream for my life? How can I know what it is? Okay, I, I get it. I, I, I want to buy in. I want to do How can I know what the direction is that I need to go? Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, <coughs> in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know how to know the will of God? Guys, that's how you figure out the dream for your life. What is God's will for my life? That's the dream God has for your life. You figure that out by surrendering to the Lord. You're surrendering to the Lord and saying, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to put you in your proper place. Guys, that's what baptism is all about. Why do you get baptized? It's, a, it's an act of surrender. It's an act of, I'm going to just do this. I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to lay it all. I'm, I'm going to surrender completely, right? You surrender. You go under that water. The Bible says when you go under the water, it's like Jesus being buried. You know, just like Jesus was buried in a tomb, you're buried in water. What do you do with dead people? Well, you bury them. What you're saying when you decide to get baptized is I'm going to die to my old way of life. I'm going to die to that old sinful self. I'm going to be buried. And then just like Jesus rose from the dead, we bring you up out of that water. You rise up out of the waters of baptism. You are a new creation. Your sins have been forgiven. You're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you're going to walk this new life, right? But it's an act of surrender. It begins with an act of surrender. I'm going to let Jesus be king. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to surrender my will to the will of God. And as I practice that daily, that baptism, that first step, I'm going to now practice this daily, this new way of walking. As I do, I'm not conforming to the pattern of the world. I'm conforming to Jesus's will for my life. And as I walk in Jesus's will, I'm able to understand God's will because I'm aligning my mind with that of Jesus Christ. I'm learning to think and look at the world like Jesus Christ as a disciple of Christ. I'm surrendering to Jesus' influence and rule in my life. And as I do that, I'm going to be able to know God's will. Do you want to know God's dream for your life? If you want to know God's dream for your life, it begins with your surrender. If you aren't surrendered to the Lord, you will not know the, the great life that God has in store for you. Because the blessings, the good plans, the prosperous plans that God has happen through that submission. Does that make sense? Okay. Joseph, we don't know if Joseph was fully surrendered at the very beginning of this story. But at some point along the way, he got there because of what we see um, here in just a second. Number two, the second thing we learn from Joseph is to live to please the person who gave me the dream. Live to please the person who gave me the dream. That's, that's God, okay? Joseph reminds us that faithfulness is about relationship, not rules. In uh, Genesis 39... It says, uh, this is when he encounters Potiphar's wife, okay? Joseph was well-built and good-looking, and his master's wife began to desire Joseph and asked him to go to bed with her. Now, this is after he's been sold into slavery. This is after he's become uh, a servant in Potiphar's household, okay? She, he asked, she asked him to go to bed with her. He refused and said to her, look, my master does not have to concern himself with anything in the house because I'm here. He's put me in charge of everything he has. 
I have as much authority in this house as he has, and he hasn't kept back anything from me except you. How then could I do such an immoral thing and sin against God? Now, I want you to notice in this little passage, he mentions Potiphar several times. It's like, how could I do this to Potiphar? He's been so good to me. But then the punchline at the very end is, I can't sin against God. Who was he worried about sinning against? Primarily, it's God. Now, he wasn't going to wrong Potiphar, but guys, his relationship with God stopped him from falling into sin here. Christianity is relational. It's relational. It's all about relationships. It's not about rules. Okay? Sometimes people are turned off by religion because they're like, it's just a list of rules and do's and don'ts. Okay, that's not what it's about. It's about relationship. Christianity is primarily about being in a love relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. So there's going to be things I don't do because I love them. Just like there's things that I, don't, I won't do because I love my wife. Like there's certain things I won't do. There's certain things I will do because I love her, right? It's relational. I'm not like going down my to-do checklist. It's relational. And that's what your relationship with God is like. Joseph has a relational connection to God that keeps him from getting off track. Now, if you're truly committing your life to God, let me ask you another question. Have you committed your plans to him? Joseph teaches us to hold on to the dream that God has for us. He also teaches us to live, the per live to please the person who gave me the dream. Are you living to please the person who gave you your dream? If God has given you your dream, right? I really like Proverbs 16.3. We work with a lot of young people here who are planning their lives out. Uh, you know, college students and teens especially, you guys are making big decisions uh, about what you're going to do with your life and the kind of person you're going to be. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Now, a wise man once said... Love God, do as you please. If you've never heard that before, that's a good thing to remember. Love God and do as you please. If you're loving God, what you please is going to be affected by your love for God. If you're loving God, your desires are going to be a little bit different than if you're not loving God. If you're loving God, your dreams are going to be a little bit different than if you're not loving God. God wants you to take your dreams... He wants you to take your goals for your life and he wants you to look at them through the lens of your love for him. And guys, there are some, sometimes we can have dreams for our lives that have nothing to do with God, right? I know when I was younger, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be in the radio business and so that's what I did for a long time. Uh, had nothing to do with wanting to honor God with my life, had nothing to do with any of that stuff. I just wanted to party and that's what I did. I liked cocaine and limousines, so hey, let's do this. Uh, that, was, that was life for me, right? I came into a relationship with God, and guess what? Cocaine and limousines weren't on the agenda anymore. It was the desires changed. Things changed because my heart changed. If you haven't had this encounter with the Lord yet, if he hasn't just whacked you around and taken you over and made you the person that you were created to be, that's where you need to start, right? But once you've come into that relationship with him, if you're really seeking him with your whole heart, uh, commit your plans to him. 
Commit your life goals to him. Commit your career to him. How can you spend your time and energy in a way that honors him? Guys, love God and do as you please, but love him. You got to put him first. Commit your plans to him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to him. Guys, your life's passion, like what you were created to do, is wrapped up in your passion, okay? Some of you are passionate about, give me some examples. Sports, okay? How can you be passionate about loving God and also sports and use that to build the kingdom of God? How does that work? Well, I can make friends with other people who share this passion of mine. I can influence them over time. I can introduce them into other uh, relationships that I have where people are part of this network. And guys, we can together, like everybody can grab a hold of the net and we can just kind of pull, right? And we can get more people into this relationship with God. What about, uh, what's something else? Video games. Anybody in here passionate about video games? Don't lie. I, I didn't hear as much cheering as I know is in the hearts of some of you guys. Uh, listen, I, I like video games. I play video games. Uh, I'll beat any of you guys at first-person shooters. I'll just destroy you. It won't even be, won't even be a competition. Um, how can you use somebody that has a passion for that to build the kingdom of God? Guys, same thing. You want to know how many people over the years I've baptized that I played video games with? Quite a few. But it's because we got together and we just shared a common interest and we got to be friends. And eventually that led to more uh, conversations. That led to more things, right? We could go down the list. You can take your passion, whatever you're passionate about. Your dream, God's dream for your life probably has something to do with that passion. Because there's going to be something in you where God has wired you to work a certain way. Like you, you like certain things, you are drawn to certain things, you are drawn to people who are drawn to certain things. Those are, that's your tribe. God has wired you to bless your tribe. Does that make sense? But you've got to put him first and you've got to get into a close relationship with him because, before you're really going to be able to help anybody else. Because you can only bring somebody as close to God as you are yourself. And if you're not very close to God, you're not going to help anybody else get very close to God. You've got to start there. You've got to love him first. That's the, the linchpin of this whole thing is you've got to put first things first and you've got to put God first. Love God. That's the greatest command. Love him with everything you've got. Get as close to him as you can. And then let him have your passion. Let him take your passion. Let him take your life. He's got a dream for you. He made you. He knows what your passion is. He knows what you're good at, right? He created you, and he created you with a purpose. Thirdly, another thing we learn from Joseph is we've got to let go of bitterness that can control me. We've got to let go of bitterness that can control me. This is the one thing that will really wreck your ability to live out this dream is bitterness, Joseph had a raw deal in a lot of different ways. He had memories of a father who favored him. He treated him in a way that he shouldn't have. He had brothers who enslaved him. Uh, he had a lying woman who framed him in Potiphar's wife. He had a boss who imprisoned him, Potiphar, listening to his wife. 
He had a cellmate who forgot him when he was in prison. He interpreted a dream for a cellmate, and the cellmate was getting released, and he said, hey, remember me. Man, it was years before the cellmate did anything for him. Years. He sat there for years, right? He had a lot of reasons to be bitter. Um, If he had let bitterness overcome his heart, what would that day have been like for his brothers when they came? His brothers show up. They hadn't seen him for years. They hadn't seen him for so long that they couldn't even recognize him anymore because they had sold him into slavery when he was a kid. And then they show up begging for food. Really? They don't recognize him. He's up there in his royal robe and like he's all important looking and, you know, and they're coming and they're groveling like these poor guys without food. Please give us food. And Joseph I wonder, as they were talking to him, what what was going on in Joseph's heart? Because I I get the sense that he was really struggling with what to do. Like, here these guys are. I've got the power to to have them beaten, to have them thrown in prison. I've, I've got the power to execute. Like, here are these guys that did me so wrong. Have you ever been so wronged by a person that... You just really had a hard time letting it go. You ever been there, right? You guys know my story. I was molested when I was growing up, um, pretty severely. Uh, thinking back about that, that uh, pedophile in my neighborhood who molested all those kids. He was a bad man. As far as I know, he never changed. He never repented. He was a horrible, abusive, mean, old man. And... Uh, what, what about that guy? You know, that guy didn't directly abuse me. He abused the kids, though, that turned around and abused me. What about that guy? That guy messed my life up. Right? What if you've been betrayed by somebody? What if there was a trust that was broken by somebody where you were legitimately done wrong? It wasn't like a, a maybe this is up for debate it's, no, you were legitimately done wrong. Does that weigh on you? You know, for Joseph, he was legitimately done wrong. Even if he was a bratty kid, even if he was a bratty kid. We don't know if he was, but if he was, he was still done wrong. They faked his death, showed bloody clothes to his dad, made him think, his dad made him think he was dead his whole life. He's cut off from his family. Guys, I've been done wrong. Honestly, though, this is like another level. To have your own family fake your death, tell everybody else you're dead, and they all know it. All all 10 of these, one of the the brothers wasn't home. Benjamin wasn't there, right? He was too young to be out that day. But 10 guys keep this secret for how many years? And then those 10 guys are the ones that show up and you're the one that they've done wrong and now you have the power to, if you want to. You think this wasn't a struggle for him? I think it was. I think that's part of why he messes with them in the story. He has uh, one, of the, one of his servants, one of Joseph's servants, he has sneak silver into their bags so, that he, so they, they can be accused of stealing. And... Uh, you know, he does this a couple of times. <laughs> and so I just wonder if, if this struggle wasn't there. I think it was, but what I can tell you is Joseph 
ends up showing mercy to his brothers. Joseph, at some point, I don't know if it was in the moment while they were there or if it was maybe prior to, he let go of that bitterness that was in his heart that was legitimately there. Okay? Now, when I say legitimately there, I'm saying that from my worldly mind. Because what God's word says is that we never have a legitimate excuse to hold on to bitterness. Isn't that weird? In the Bible, there's never a good reason for holding on to bitterness. In my mind, there is, though. Isn't there in yours? Like, they did me so wrong. I need to hold on to that. They did me so wrong. But in the Bible, it's like, no, that's, that's not okay. You need to let that go. You want to know bitterness is, is like drinking poison, right, and just holding it in? Have any of you guys ever been to my house when someone has eaten my super, super hot hot sauce? I've got some 7.1 million Scoville uh, death tar uh, that I put in chili from time to time. Every once in a while, we'll just eat some just because just we're stupid. Uh, but it is amazing how many people have come to my house, and it's mostly young college-aged men, uh, want to eat this stuff and get sick. And it either comes out the front or the back or both. Within about 15 minutes usually. You guys laugh. I'm being dead serious. I'm not trying to be crude. There have been a lot of people who've had diarrhea at my house. Um, And we think it's funny. You got to get that mess out, though, one way or the other. If it stays in, there's going to be a trip to the ER. It's going to come out. Uh, Bitterness, guys, whenever, whenever you take bitterness into yourself, you are injuring yourself. And that's the thing that, that is so hard for us to understand. The reason we hold on to bitterness is because we feel like it's helping us. Like, we're, we're, it's going to protect us. Like, I'm just going to wrap myself up in this anger, and that person or, that hurt me or that group that hurt me, they're not going to be able to hurt me anymore as long as I hold on to this. And it's a lie. It's a lie. We're holding on to something that's poison. We're holding on to something that's going to cause us injury if we remain holding on to it. It's not helping. It's making things worse. And it's not, we're not going to be the people that God created us to be if we're bitter. We're not going to be able to live out the dream that God has for us if we're bitter. Guys, do you realize if Joseph had held on to his bitterness, that vision that God gave him would not have come true? You guys realize that? Somewhere along the way, he had to let that go. He had to forgive He had to let it go. That doesn't mean forget. He still remembered. It doesn't mean that it didn't hurt anymore. It still hurt him. He had all kinds of emotions, right? But but he forgave. He let it go. He got the poison out of his heart. And as a result of that, he was able to live out God's dream for his life. He was able to be part of God's story. He says in Genesis 50, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. 
to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You, that's, that's somebody that has let go of bitterness right there. And I don't care how wrong we, somebody could, could do us, guys. Forgiveness doesn't mean a relationship is instantly restored, but it does mean that person is forgiven instantaneously. It was going to take some work for him to be able to get close with his brothers again. And I have a feeling they put the work in after this incident. But that forgiveness was something that he didn't have to work at. Like, he just gave it to him. And he gave glory to God. He said, you guys intended this for bad. God made good come out of it. You know that's how God works. He takes bad situations and he makes good come out of them when we're faithful to him. He takes betrayal and he, he will weave that into a tapestry that somehow the result is closeness between people. And they're closer than they were before. Isn't that weird how that works? But that's how God works. In Ephesians 4, it says, Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. We're going to take communion this morning. And the reason we take communion is to remember that we serve a God who forgave us. We serve a God as people who have been unfaithful, who have sinned, but God forgives us. We look at this story about Joseph this morning and forgiving his brothers, and we say, man, that's really, really hard to forgive like that. You want to know what makes it easier? Knowing that we've been forgiven like that. The reason we're able to forgive is because we've been forgiven. And that's what communion is, a celebration of. If you don't know what communion is, Jesus got together with his friends before he was crucified, and he took some bread as part of a meal and broke it and gave them all a piece and said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. He took uh, a cup and he took a drink and said this, passed it around, had them all take a drink, said this is my blood that's going to be spilled for you. Wouldn't have made sense in the moment for those guys. Wouldn't have made sense, but Jesus uh, was giving them something that he wanted them to remember later. He told them, I want you to remember my body and my blood. That's my body that's going to be broken for you, my blood that's going to be spilled for you. And they were just like, oh, okay. Then he went to the cross. His body was literally broken. His blood was literally spilled. And it wouldn't have been until later that they would have understood the significance of what he was teaching them in that moment, he was willingly going to the cross to lay out on that cross and die for their sins. The Bible teaches that that is what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was taking my sin and your sin onto himself. And he was saying the, the wages of sin is death, the penalty for sin is separation from God, it's eternal uh, hell. I'm going to take all of that penalty onto me, and I'm going to give all of my life to those who follow me. I'm going to give all of my goodness to my disciples. I'm going to give all of the forgiveness and, and the embrace from God the Father. I'm going to give that to all who follow me. It should be easy for us to forgive when we've been forgiven. Amen?
We're going to talk about letting go of bitterness. The cure for bitterness is to understand how much God loves you and how much he's already forgiven you. That's the key to overcoming bitterness. Let me pray for us as we take communion. God, uh, as we take the, the bread and the juice this morning, help us to remember your body that was broken and your blood that was spilled all so we could be forgiven and whole in you. God, help us to be people that can let go of bitterness because you have forgiven us. Help us to be people who can forgive. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the last passage on your notes this morning is uh, Hebrews 12, 15. Is my mic on? There we go. Um, in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. I want to just stop before we read the rest of that passage. It says, look after each other. If you study the New Testament, you will see over and over passages that talk about each other and one another. We call those the one another passages. Now, in the United States, we have to actually make a case for why you should be part of a church, because most people are not. Uh, in the first century, when the Bible was written, if you were a Christian, you were part of the church. There wasn't any debate. There wasn't any, oh, I don't really, I, don't, I like Jesus, but not the church. There was, it wasn't any of that. That's an American thing. Uh, in America, we think everybody goes to heaven, right? When you die, where'd they go? Well, they're in heaven, right? Did they love Jesus? No, they gave him the finger pretty much every day of their life, but they're in heaven, right? That's America. That's not reality, guys. In, in the Bible, if you love Jesus, you love Jesus' people too because you were part of a family. And you were part of a family that was not even a popular family. You were part of a family that had a salacious rumors and all kinds of stuff being said about them. They didn't like Christians in the first century, right? Guys, today, the world still does not like Christians. It still doesn't. And guess what? Tomorrow, it's not going to either. But the same principle that if I'm a disciple, I'm part of a church... It, the same principle that was active there is, is active today too. Guys, if you haven't plugged in to the church, I want to encourage you to. The Crossings is one that I recommend. Uh, we are not the only, we're not the only Christian church in the world, right? There are other good churches in the world. The Crossings is a good church. And I came here a long time ago. I've been part of the Crossings for a long time. Uh, we moved here in 2012 specifically to come to this part of the country to be part of the crossings because there was something that was different here. There was something in the water. Uh, when I would come and I would see people becoming Christians and then come back a couple of years later and those people that I saw becoming Christians on my previous trip are now teaching other people to become Christians and I'm seeing families healed and I'm seeing uh, relationships restored and I'm seeing people get help with really deep issues. Guys, there's... Uh, ministries for people that have suffered from sexual abuse like I did. Uh, there's ministries for people uh, that have had abortions and that feel horribly guilty about it. Uh, there's ministries for people that uh, just have gone through horrible dysfunction and, and can come out in a better place. Guys, all of these ministries in the church are led by people who've been through this junk. 
I got to hear uh, people talk about very openly the, how messed up they are. I got to hear people confess sin. I got to see people uh, restored in that. Um, there, there are a lot of churches around, guys, but I got, I'm just telling you, the Crossings is a good church. If you've been coming around here for a while and you haven't plugged in yet, I want to encourage you to get connected. And I mean relationally. Guys, what, how, how do you connect relationally? Can we throw my slide up there? Uh, we've got all kinds of stuff going on at, here, guys, in terms of making friends. Go to lunch with somebody. Go grab a coffee this week. Make a friend. You know, if you want to know what your next step is here at the church, make a friend. Find somebody you share common interests with. Or, you know, go to a movie with somebody. Just go, go hang out. We're a church of small groups, too. Um, all of our uh, ministries really function because of our small group ministry. If you've been coming around to the crossings for a little bit and you haven't plugged into a small group yet, I want to invite you to seriously consider checking one of those groups out. Uh, indicate on your card this morning that, uh, that you'd like to get more information and we'll get somebody with you. We also want to make sure your relationship with God is healthy. Uh, with every single person that joins the church, uh, we study the Bible with them. Uh, guys, we have a lot of people that come here that, just, that they just want to connect to God. We'll study the Bible with them. All that a Bible study is, is you open up the Bible, you read a passage of Scripture, you say, what do you think about that? How do you think we could live this out? And you sit and talk with friends about how to take the Scriptures and apply it to your life. If you haven't connected to God like that, man, what a great place to start. If you're interested, or maybe you don't even believe in God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I kind of think this is, this is cool, but I, don't, I just have questions. That's a good place to start. Nobody's going to look down on you for having questions. Nobody's going to look down on you for doubting. One of the cool things about Christianity is the evidence to support what the Bible teaches and that this stuff is real is overwhelming when you start looking at it. It's overwhelming. So if you have questions... Guys, we're not afraid of those. Truth, if it's really truth, can stand up to the hardest questions. So we're not afraid of those. Ask your questions. I do want to encourage you to connect this morning. We're going to close out. You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. I want to invite you to pull that out. It's got a place for you to put your information out, also to look at all the different things we offer here at the Crossings. And there's, uh, if you're interested in small groups and learning more, indicate that on there. If you'd like to study the Bible with somebody, indicate that on there. Uh, whatever your needs, though, I do want to invite you to greater community, right? So I'm going to pray for us. That's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. And then we'll sing, uh, we'll sing a song. Excuse me. I'm going to pray. We'll sing a song. That'll give you an opportunity to fill that card out. Then we'll sing one more song and pass some baskets, and you can drop the card in the basket, okay? Let me pray. God, as we close out this morning, uh, as people are pulling those communication cards out, Lord, I pray you give us the courage to say what we need to say on those and to take the steps we need to take. Uh, God, if we haven't connected to a small group or if we haven't um, connected to you, God, I pray you'll just help us take the action steps to do that. Help us not to be a people who will hear a message from your word and not do anything with it. Help us to apply your word to our lives, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.